So, October 3rd, 2012, in Vrindavan, BIHE, Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Chapter 9, Text 34 to 39. Okay, so we're starting with Text 34 to 49. We're finishing up this chapter. Now, although we're starting with 34... To some extent, in 33, where Bhishma is talking about Krishna's glittering yellow dress. So we're going to read also text 33, even though we discussed that yesterday, because it really sort of goes goes with the flow of what we're doing. Sri Krishna is the intimate friend of Arjuna. He has appeared on this earth in his transcendental body, which resembles the bluish color of the tamal tree. His body attracts everyone in the three planetary systems, upper, middle, and lower. May his glittering yellow dress and his lotus face, covered with paintings of sandalwood pulp, be the object of my attraction, and may I not desire fruitive results. On the battlefield where Sri Krishna attended Arjuna out of friendship, the flowing hair of Lord Krishna turned ashen, That means gray-colored. Due to the dust raised by the hooves of the horses, and because of his labor, beads of sweat wetted his face. All these decorations, intensified by the wounds dealt by my sharp arrows, were enjoyed by him. Let my mind thus go to Sri Krishna. In obedience to the command of his friend, Lord Sri Krishna entered the arena of the battlefield of Kurukshetra between the soldiers of Arjuna and Duryodhana. And while there, he shortened the lifespans of the opposing party by his merciful glance. This was done simply by his looking at the enemy. Let my mind be fixed upon that Krishna. When Arjuna was seemingly polluted by ignorance upon observing the soldiers and commanders before him on the battlefield, the Lord eradicated his ignorance by delivering transcendental knowledge. May his lotus feet always remain the object of my attraction. Fulfilling my desire and sacrificing his own promise, he got down from the chariot, took up its wheel, and ran toward me hurriedly, just as a lion goes to kill an elephant. He even dropped his outer garment on the way. May he, Lord Sri Krishna, the personality of Godhead, who awards salvation, be my ultimate destination. On the battlefield, he charged me, as if angry because of the wounds dealt by my sharp arrows. His shield was scattered, and his body was smeared with blood due to the wounds. At the moment of death, let my ultimate attraction be to Sri Krishna, the personality of Godhead. I concentrate my mind upon the chariot driver of Arjuna, who stood with a whip in his right hand and a bridle rope in his left, who was very careful to give protection to Arjuna's chariot by all means. Those who saw him on the battlefield of Kurukshetra attained their original forms after death. Let my mind be fixed upon Lord Sri Krishna, whose motions and smiles of love attracted the damsels of Rajatam, the gopis, The damsels imitated the characteristic movements of the Lord after his disappearance in the Rasa dance. At the Rajasuya Yajna performed by Maharaj Yudhisthira, there was the greatest assembly of all the elite men of the world, the royal and learned orders, and in that great assembly, Lord Sri Krishna was worshipped by one and all as the most exalted personality of Godhead. This happened during my presence, and I remembered the incident in order to keep my mind upon the Lord. Now I can meditate with full concentration upon that one Lord, Sri Krishna, now present before me, because now I have transcended the misconceptions of duality in regard to his presence in everyone's heart, even in the hearts of the mental speculators. He is in everyone's heart. The sun may be perceived differently, but the sun is one. Sutra Goswami said, Thus Bhisma Dev merged himself in the super soul, Lord Sri Krishna, the supreme personality of Godhead, with his mind, speech, sight, and actions, and thus he became silent, and his breathing stopped. Knowing that Bhishma David merged into the unlimited eternality, eternity of the Supreme Absolute, all present there became silent, like birds at the end of the day. Thereafter, both men and demigods sounded drums in honor, and the honest royal order commenced demonstrations of honor and respect, and from the sky fell showers of flowers... O descendant of Brigu Shanika, after performing funeral rites for the dead body of Bhishma Dev, Maharaj Yudhisthira was momentarily overtaken with grief. 
all the great sages and glorified Lord Sri Krishna, who was present there by, com- by confidential Vedic hymns. Then all of them returned to their respected hermitages, bearing always Lord Krishna within their hearts. Thereafter, Maharishi at once went to his capital, Hastinapur, accompanied by Lord Sri Krishna. And there he consoled his uncle and aunt, Gandhari, who was an ascetic. Sense from his Gandhari Nicha After this, the great religious king, Maharishi executed the royal power in the kingdom, strictly according to the codes and royal principles approved by his uncle and confirmed by Lord Sri Krishna. First, we're going to look at the minor points. In 34, it says that everyone who died at, during the battle, because Krishna was there and they saw Krishna, they attained their swarup. Swarup, swa means his own form. So they got liberation into Vaikuntha. Sometimes devotees have asked, you know, what is the evidence that we have our own eternal form? Is the eternal form awakened and it already exists? Which is, of course, what Srila Prabhupada says. Or is it something bestowed? So, at verses like that that say they attain their swarupam, their own form, indicate that it's something that is eternal. In text 41, when Bhishma remembers the Rajasuya Yagya, it's mentioned that Krishna was worshipped as the best man of his time. So Prabhupada says there that not everybody, when Krishna was present, appreciated that he was God, but many appreciated that he was the best person on the planet. In 46, Marjudasir performs a funeral ceremony for Bhishma, although Bhishma is liberated. So what's the general purpose of a funeral ceremony? Every culture has funeral ceremonies. What's the purpose of a funeral ceremony? A tribute. A tribute, yes. And? Yes, tribute, yes, respects. And? Huh? Express our pain, so that's for the living. It expresses their grief. It gives some closure to the living. What about for the dead? What's the purpose of a funeral ceremony for the soul who just left their body? The body does not exist anymore, so the soul does not get attracted. Okay, so the body is destroyed so that the soul won't hang around. But why is there a particular ceremony? Why is there a ritual? Invoke the Lord's mercy on that soul, yes. So there is some... Uh, my husband actually directly heard Shri Prabhupada uh, being asked, can you pray for people after they're dead? And Prabhupada said, yes, it acts like witnesses in a court. So the ceremony, the funeral ceremony, also acts as a way of purification of that soul. The idea is that everybody performs some sinful activities, and the funeral ceremony as the last samskar is a way of purifying the soul, even though the soul isn't in that body anymore. Uh, the soul still has some. Still, what's done with that body after the soul has left has some effect on that soul. So, in this case, because Bhishma was liberated, what was the point? Exactly. So, to set an example for others, that uh, because otherwise somebody was, oh, this person is liberated, and they may not be. And then the proper um, funeral ceremony may not be done. Also, the funeral ceremony has, as you've all said, some functions for the living. So in text 38, Prabhupada says that Krishna had blood from his own wounds, but Vishnu Chakravati Thakur says that Krishna didn't have any wounds, that he had a shield, and just the shield got dented a little and that the blood on Krishna's body was just the general blood that was on the battlefield ground. As he ran to Bhishma, he got that blood on him because he didn't have his own blood. It's differing opinion of Srila Prabhupada and Vishnu Chagavadi Thakur. 
right, before we go into the themes, I'd like us to look at text 34. Now in 34, you have in the verse, Bhishma is describing Krishna's hair, then Krishna's face, and then Krishna's womb. So he's describing Krishna's form from top to bottom. Krishna's dusty hair, his sweaty face, and his wounded body. So we talked the other day about how Krishna is beautiful even when he's dirty and sweaty. You all remember? Talked about how the demigods don't sweat. Demigods' clothes also don't get dirty. But Krishna is getting dirty and sweaty, but still he's very beautiful. All right, let's look at the purport to text 34. Uh, say for me how Prabhupada is progressing in his description in text 34, in the purport to 34. 34. And on the progression of points in the purport to text 34? So what's Prabhupada's first point? Vishma is in the mood of Dasa Rasa and his arrows are also welcome for Krishna is like a transcendental exchange of love. Okay, so first point is that Bhishma is in the Dasyarasa, and you will see in the chivalrous mood, and that this, this is a kind of worship. His arrows are a kind of worship. Next point? Shiva Prabhupada's next point? You mentioned that it may it may look like Bhishma Dev was sorry, but actually, but actually the Lord's body is transcendental. And also showing Okay, so that, that Krishna is not suffering, he's always in a cheerful mood. So Bhisma may be sorry, but Krishna is actually happy with the worship. But the next point is who may be bewildered? The, the non-believers, they may be bewildered. They don't understand how is Bhishma fighting with the Lord. And then the next point. Is that Krishna comes before Bhishma at his deathbed. So this is, this is significant because this is something that indicates that they're not actually enemies. That there was a loving exchange. And then Vishnu Chakravati Thakur who's comparing uh, Bhishma's wounds with a biting of lovers. And then finally, that there's absolute enjoyment. Krishna has absolute enjoyment in all of the rasas. Okay, so the first theme we're going to look at is, is this theme of rasa. Rasa literally means taste. The Ayurveda means liquid. The essential taste of anything is its rasa. And as we say, rasa also means liquid. Just like for all of our senses, there has to be some liquid in order for them to have pleasure. If your eyes are dry, there's a condition called dry eye. You can get that on an airplane if you... I know, because it happened to me once. Like if you're on an airplane for 15 hours, the air is very dry and your eyeballs can dry out. 
and it's, it's very, very painful. And then you can't enjoy seeing anything if there's no moisture in your eyes or your ears need to have some wax, some lubrication to work. Our nose needs some mucus lubrication. When we were children in school, we dried off our tongue and then tried to taste things, and you can't taste anything. Uh, similarly, your skin, there's an oil on your skin, and if the oil is dried up, then you can't enjoy the sense of touch. So this is the, this rasa means that which gives pleasure, that which is the essence of things, which gives pleasure. Of course, rasa, as we study nectar devotion, is made up of five bhavs. So let's see, let's go to... Grass is always pleasurable. Just like there's a sixth taste on the tongue, sweet, salty, sour, bitter, pungent, and astringent. So most of us like sweets especially, but we also like salty things. If we had only sweet things, we wouldn't like that. And many of us like bitter things. And many of us like spicy things, pungent things, sour things. There's a sweet and sour subject, so we don't only enjoy sweet things. Sour things, or you may say, how can you enjoy something sour? How can you enjoy something bitter? But we do. How can you enjoy something spicy? I have one friend, and his, his devotee friend, his idea of dessert is chili powder and salt. <laughs> he used to put chili powder even on his uh, sweets to eat them. So there's different there's different tastes, but they're all pleasurable. And just like the uh, chivalrous rasa, so so many people they enjoy the chivalrous rasa. People who watch sports, when people are watching sporting events, what are they enjoying? Fighting. It's friendly fighting, but even sometimes people get hurt. People are enjoying, people enjoy also fear. I think we talked about this the other day. You know, people go to scary movies, horror movies, or they go on scary rides, or they do uh, scary sports. They call them extreme sports. And they're enjoying the fear or ghastliness. A lot of the horror movies are also ghastly. So people, people are enjoying, they're spending their money you see something ghastly or, um, or the stories of end of the world you know, aliens come and they destroy the world and the buildings are falling that's ghastly so there's pleasure if there was no pleasure of course materially there's not much pleasure in anything even the sweet loving stuff is not that pleasure, pleasurable materially but what to speak of spiritually although Srila Prabhupada says there's nothing except the twelve rasas anywhere your nectar devotion, he says, everything we do is to get some rasa, to get some taste. By the way, this is one thing you can, this fact is something you can use if you have a bad habit or you have something you're attached to that you would prefer not to be attached to. You can say, what is the rasa I'm getting from this? And can I get that rasa in a more positive way? You know, if you just look at, at the things you're doing that you don't want to do and say, oh, this is bad, I'm not getting anything out of it, that's not possible. If we're not getting anything out of it, we wouldn't do it. That's what Prabhupada says in Nectar Devotion. I mean, it's not just modern psychology, it's Shiva Prabhupada. He says this rasa is what's driving us on and on. Of course, materially, the rasa may be not very satisfying. And we can think, how can I find this uh, same kind of satisfaction in Krishna because it's there in Krishna. So this is, uh, we'll, later on, we're reading how uh, Bhishma is going to be fighting with Krishna eternally as a planet where Krishna is there as part of Sarati. Not necessarily at all. No. It's just like, um, I don't know if you heard her question, are the rasas we're attracted to in this life, does that indicate our spiritual rasa with Krishna? Not necessarily at all. 
Just like our personality in this life may have nothing to do with our spiritual personality at all. So, you know, you may be a very quiet, shy person in this life, and in your eternal body you may be very loud and boisterous. This particular life is not indicative of anything of our eternal life in specifics. I mean, there may be some things the same, but that's just coincidental. So, you know, our gender, our age, our inclinations, our personality right now are all covered. Just like when you're in a drama, when you're in a drama, who here has been in a drama? Who's here acted in a drama? There's a few of you. So when you act in a drama, you put on the costume, but you also take the mood of the character. It's not just that you put on the costume and the makeup and you keep your own mood. That would be very peculiar. You know? If you're watching a drama and you, or the people were acting the same way they act offstage, it wouldn't be very pleasing. So they take on the personality of that person. I remember when we used to do the Ramayana, there was this one, this one brahmachari who was playing Ravana. So his actual personality was very sweet and mellow. But when he was playing Ravana, he was very scary. The little children would all hide under the seats. But he wasn't actually like that. So what we're doing in this material world is we're trying out all different flavors. Spiritually, all the rasas are actually different flavors. They're actually different flavors. So there's actually like mango ice cream. We have an ice cream shop in Dubai where we have uh, chiku ice cream and sitapal ice cream. Like 50 different flavors, all fresh fruit. So the spiritual, all the different enjoyments, all the different rasas, all the different anubhavs, they're, they're real. And here they're not. Here it's just like you can go to the supermarket and you get some water with some coloring and some sugar in it. You know, 2% fruit juice. So one gallon, like four liters. Yeah, and at least in America they have this. So in the supermarket you get this big jug of colored flavored water. And it may have some juice in it. You know, in this big four liters, there may be maybe, you know, a few drops of actual orange juice or grape juice, something. So they can say contains natural flavors and people will buy it. But they all practically taste the same. Notice little difference, but it all tastes chemical. It's just the same. Or like when I was visiting China, so they use this rice called sticky rice, and they make things, they, they cook it, and then they form it into different shapes. And sometimes they add some colors to it. So you think it's all kinds of things. One time I thought it was halva with raisins. And it was just sticky rice with red beans. And one time I thought it was a samosa. Oh, again, it's sticky rice. One time I thought it was a cake. So it looks like something different. But when you taste it, the flavor is basically the same. So material life, it, it looks like this is ghastly rasa, this is grief, this is... But when you taste it, it's basically all the same. It just tastes... Sticky rice is very plain. Just like we commented the other day. Just like plain rice. It has very little taste. If you don't put any salt in it or any ghee or anything, it's not much taste. So sticky rice has practically no taste. Or you see, sometimes they make these, um, like this kind of pudding out of agar-agar. You've seen that? And they can make different colors. So it looks like different colors. They can make it into different shapes and molds. They can make this, this uh, like gel. So different molds, different shapes, different colors. But the flavor is basically the same. So that's where Prahladmara said, chewing the chew. We're thinking, oh, this will be different. Oh, this will be different. This will be different. Oh, this will be different. But we're looking for variety and newness and freshness. But everything here is old, and it's all just the same. It's basically all just envy of Krishna and Ahankara. But there's a few drops of something else, so a little bit. Because it's Krishna's energy, after all. 
But the real thing is quite different. So here we're trying, you know, most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us, we, we want to know all the material varieties. It's like we're going to a restaurant and we want to try everything on the menu. So let me see, can I enjoy by being a dog? Can I enjoy by being a dog in Russia? Can I enjoy by being a big dog? Can I enjoy by being a small dog? Can I enjoy by being, a, you know, a plant? Can I enjoy by being a flowering plant? Maybe I can enjoy by being a thorn tree. Uh, you know, can I enjoy by coming from Australia? Can I enjoy by being from Canada? Maybe I can enjoy by being a demigod. Maybe if I'm a great rishi. Maybe if I'm a male rishi. Maybe if I'm a female rishi. You know, maybe if I have curly red hair. Maybe if I have straight blonde hair. You know, and we're trying this flavor, that flavor, and you can see the mind at least in my mind. You know, when I say go through life, I see different things and I think, I wonder what that would be like. Does your mind do that? My mind does that even with terrible things. I see some blind person and I think, I wonder what that would be like. And I go, whoa. You know? So that we're curious. And we're also, you know, we're very determined. Let me try to enjoy this way, that way. So in different lives, we have different inclinations. In some lifetime, we'll be, yeah, let me enjoy this ghastly rasa. And we become a murderer. Prabhupada talks about that. How the murderers are trying to enjoy the ghastly rasa. Another lifetime, we think, oh, let me enjoy the shanta rasa, the peaceful rasa. And we're trying life after life after life, but these rasas are actually all in relationship to Krishna. We're trying to enjoy them separately from Krishna. And so there's nothing there. It's like putting food in your nose. It doesn't matter how good the food is. If you put it in your nose, it doesn't taste good. It just doesn't. So, you know, try this food, that food, this food, that food, this food, that food, this way, that way, upside down, inside out. But it's all you're putting it in the nose. <laughs> you know, and if somebody comes and says, hey, you need to put food in your mouth, why are you disturbing me? Now, our natural rasa awakens, just like another example is, is children. When you're a little child, you may think, I want to do this, I want to do that. But when you come to adulthood, who you are starts to awaken. It might be the same as you imagined when you were a little child, but it might be very different. When I was five years old, I wanted to marry some little boy in my school. But what is the meaning to that? That poor boy, every time he saw me, he ran away. <laughs> but I got, I got tickets to a television show. I got two tickets, so I gave him one. So he really wanted to go. So he took the ticket, but when we went, he sat all the way on the other side. But it had no, it had no, there was no meaning. When you're five years old, to say, I'm in love with a five-year-old boy, what does it mean? I, I didn't have any idea what does it mean to love a boy when I'm five years old. There's no meaning. And sometimes, sometimes people, when they're five, they say, I'm in love with this person, and they actually marry them. It happens. But generally, it's not meaningful. Or the child says, I want to be a fireman. That doesn't mean that when they're 25, they'll be a fireman. I mean, I remember when I was six, we were all saying, we want to be president of the United States. And my friends were saying, we all put up a big sign that you're running for president. So I don't want to be president of the United States. But when I was six years old, I was thinking, yes. I will become president of the United States. So when, when we're in our conditioned life, what we're thinking is, I like this, I like that. It's not very meaningful. We're, we're playing a role. And in the role of that character, we like this, we like that. We like this color, we like this food, we have this personality. But our, we have real likes and dislikes. Each of us, in our original form, there are certain kinds of food, transcendental food, and colors and activities that we love. It's the meaning of individuality. But no, what we have now is just, we're changing that life after life after life. You all know the, the famous movie star, Julia Roberts? 
all heard of her. She's become a Hindu. So she was quoted in the newspaper as saying that she's a very, very famous lady, very, very famous movie star. She said, in my next life, I want to be somebody quiet in the background. So that's what we do. You know, one life we try this, and the next life we try that. And so I've just talked about this before. We have to be very careful. If we're thinking, oh, I wish I was more outspoken. I wish I was quieter. I wish I had more courage. I wish I was more careful. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. So Krishna's taking note. Okay, get, just try this, try that. And we're trying so many different tastes in so many different lifetimes. So here Bhishma is being attracted by a very specific form. And he's describing Krishna's hair, Krishna's face, Krishna's clothing. Right? Getting from his chariot, taking up his wheel. His shield was scattered, his body was smeared with blood, he dropped his outer garment on the way. He's on the chariot with his whip, the horse's whip in his right hand and the bridle in his left hand. So each of us is attracted by a particular manifestation of Krishna. It's like Lord Kapiladev says, the Lord assumes a particular form for each devotee. And I'm sure I already mentioned this in the 13th chapter of the 10th canto, where the, all the coward boys and the calves appear as different you need something? You just fix whatever you want. Oh. Okay. Yes. It's not a problem. We're just friends here, you know. You don't have to be so formal. But you can just come out. We're just friends. You don't have to. You can just come and fix something. It's okay. You don't have to be like. It's all right. Uh, so when all the uh, the coward boys and the calves were appearing as Vishnu forms, and they were worshipped by all living entities, and Sanatana Goswami says that for each of us, there's one quality of Krishna's that we particularly like, and there's something about us that only we have. So why was Lord Brahma so bewildered when he saw two sets of boys and two sets of cows? He was so astonished. Why? Yes, why? Why only one? He's the creator, yes. So why is he so astonished that there's not that there's doubles? Well, what's, what, what's not possible about? Yes, but why? So why is that amazing? Why is that not possible? Yes? Yes? He's the creator, so he's created one set. So he's wondering where has the other set come And he wonders who's created the second set. But that's not so astonishing. There could be another creator he didn't know about. But he's completely astonished. He's not like saying, oh, I wonder who the other creator was that created the second set. But we have seen one. So, but what's wrong with that? You're, you're right, you're going to do this close. What's wrong with that? Actually, the same, quite the same definition. Everything could have been seen one not being Yes. Each jiva is unique. You cannot have a duplicate. And actually they were not duplicates. They were Vishnu. They were not duplicate jivas. And they were a little different. What was different about the Krishna duplicates from the jivas? More attractive, yeah. The, the uh, residents of Vrindavan loved them more and a little differently than they had the original jivas. So they weren't exactly the same, actually. Yes. I was thinking, 
and it's manifesting in quite That's right. That's right. It's, it's, it's really inconceivable to us that there are unlimited jivas and each jiva is unique. I mean, Krishna is so much uh, once unique that even our bodies are unique. Our fingerprints, our DNA is unique. It's just the body. Krishna didn't have to make each body unique. Even the snowflakes are unique. Why? The snowflakes. You know what is snowflakes? You know what is snow. You know what is snow? Okay. So when the snow is falling, each tiny little piece of snow, it makes a crystal shape. And the scientists have looked at these snow crystals. They've never seen two the same. (laughs) They said no two snow crystals are the same. But snow crystals last for how long? A few moments. And who's looking at them? Nobody. So why does Krishna make each one different? If I were God, I wouldn't bother with them. I would make them all the same. <laughs> I say, who cares? But Krishna really likes variety. He really he likes variety to such an extent. Every grain of sand is different. Every snowflake crystal is different. So when we talk about these rasas, we talk about that there's 12 rasas. But actually, each of, us, each of us has our own unique rasa with Krishna. These are general categories. Just like Guru Swami, especially in his Ujjvalani Mani, he delineates the subcategories and the sub-sub and the sub-sub-sub and the sub-sub-sub-sub categories of the gopis. So all the gopis are in Shringar Ras or Madhuri Ras. But I'm sure you've all heard some are left-wing, some are right-wing. But there's many, many other categories. And then each gopi is a particular mix of these categories. So you end up, when you go down to the sub, 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 there's one person in each category. And so only I'm in my category. So first there's a big category, everybody who's Krishna's friend, everyone who's Krishna's servant, everyone who's Krishna's lover. And then there's different kinds of lovers. There's the married lovers and the unmarried lovers. There's then of the married and unmarried. There's left wing and right wing. Now you have four. Then you have different ages, very young, middle, and then a little older. So that's three. Three times four, now you have twelve. Right? And it keeps going and going and going and then you have each of us and then there's mixtures of the five and the seven so like uh, Madhu Mangal he's Krishna's friend and he also is especially relishing the rasa of comedy Bhishma is Krishna's servant and he's especially relishing the rasa of chivalry whereas like Raktak who's also Krishna's servant he's not engaged in the chivalrous Rasa, he's not fighting with Krishna. Some of Krishna's friends are also fighting with Krishna. Right? Not with arrows, but the wrestling. So there is also some variety of the seven secondary rasas and the five primary rasas. But everything is there. Like with the ghastly Ras Prabhupada says that is the singadev, if you like to enjoy the ghastly rasa. Anyway, here we see Bhishma is attracted to a very specific form of the Lord. And the Krishna and the devotees have spiritual bodies. This exchange is not taking place on the level of material bodies. In 34, Krishna's spiritual body is described. And in 45, Bhishma's spiritual body is described. That Bhishma is not here in a material body. And that fighting can also be loving. Now, I think this is understood a little bit more by those of us who are in male bodies than those of us who are in female bodies. So generally the men are more interested in fighting than the women are. In fact, the sociologists have researched that when men meet each other, they often engage in some sort of fighting to establish rank. 
some sort of competition to establish their rank, and then they can be friends. And if women were to have the same kind of fighting, their friendship would stop. And so there's a little different mentality. Of course, women like to fight also, but women mostly fight verbally. Most women don't fight physically. Some, but most, not so. And so much. I haven't met very many physical fighting women. But Prabhupada does say in the story of Sharmista and Devayani that women will fight verbally over slight provocations. <laughs> you also see, interestingly enough, in Krishna's Lula, somebody was pointing this out to me in my report, that the gopis get angry at Krishna, but Krishna never gets angry at the gopis. That the gopis are yelling at Krishna and calling him names and... But Krishna, he always treats the gopis with a lot of uh, gentlemanly... I mean, he teases them, and he embarrasses them. He definitely embarrasses them. They all grow these thorn plants that thought would be pearls, and then they have no pearls. And they're humiliated in front of all of Raja. You know, he talks to Radharani's friends about his intimate dealings with her and embarrasses her. Uh, but, but he doesn't get angry with them a little different mood. Anyway, so those of us who in this lifetime are women, we may really have a hard time understanding this chivalrous rasa between Bhishma and Krishna, how they're enjoying it. And it says in 38 that one can serve Krishna even in the role of a so-called enemy. Uh, but obviously they're not an enemy because Krishna has come to Bhishma's deathbed. Now I think all of us can understand the concept of sport. So just like even with our friends and families, we may sit down and and play a game. You know, you may play Scrabble or volleyball. I saw the boys yesterday playing volleyball, the vertical boys. So they're playing aggressively, and they're trying to win. They want to defeat the other team. But they're not enemies. They're friends. So, of course, you know, maybe if it's the Russian team playing the Hungarian team, they're actually enemies. But if two Hungarian teams are playing, they're not enemies. Or you're playing with your family. So my family used to, sometimes we would sit down in the evening and play some game, some like word game, right? But you're not enemies. Although you're trying to win. You're trying to defeat the other party. So that's the mood. And we like to do this, right? We like to play games with our friends and families, correct? It's fun. And we like to try to defeat them. But if it's our friend, we're equally happy if they win. You know? You may play even, I don't know if they do this in India, but at least in America, we play even with our mother and father, and we will defeat them. Oh, Dad, I defeated you. I won the game. But if the other party, because they're also your father or they're your brother, so if they win, you're also happy. Right? That's also there. Who was asking about Bhishma um, fighting with his guru? Who asked that question? You asked that question. So there's also some sportive mood there. Parasaram was happy that his disciple was victorious also. That's, that's there. Same with Dronacharya and Bhishma when they were watching the Pandavas fight in Kurukshetra. They were Dronacharya students, so he was also happy to see how well they're fighting, even if they're killing his own men. There's some feeling of sport. And Bhishma wants to see the Lord, like in 38 is describing, he wants to see Krishna uh, bloody and wounded. That's his pleasure. Again, that may seem rather odd to us. But it's exactly like you're, you know, you're playing volleyball with your friends, like they were playing volleyball, and you want to see your opponent sweaty and defeated in the dust. Oh, it's, that's that's the mood. What fun would the volleyball game be if nobody was sweating? It wouldn't be any fun if nobody was aggressive. If people were just, you know, how many years ago? You know, nobody would enjoy it. So they're enjoying it. They're enjoying the aggression. They're enjoying the signs of aggression, the physical signs of aggression. 
on their on the opposite party, although they're friends. And Prabhupada says that Krishna was actually running to Bhishma not to kill him, but to please him with fighting. And he compared him like a lover goes to meet their lover without caring for hindrances. You know, like Romeo and Juliet meeting each other. Of course, again, materially, there are so many hindrances. So materially, people may sing a song, I'm going to love you until the end of time. I remember this song, there's no ocean wide enough, there's no mountain high enough to keep me from getting to you. But there is, of course, materially. If the ocean's wide enough and the mountain's high enough, then we say, forget it. But with Krishna and his devotees, there's no ocean wide enough, there's no mountain high enough, there's no hindrances. It's no restrictions. And we mentioned the Vishnu Thakurvati Thakur is comparing these arrow wounds to the bites of a lover. So of course, you know, when you read things like that, you may think, what kind of a philosophy is this that we're involved in? It's quite astonishing. You're not going to find something like this in the Bible or the Quran. This kind of description. It's quite interesting. Actually, one one devotee. It wasn't a devotee. It was a scholarly friend of the devotees was saying how fascinated he was that we practice so much asceticism in our Krishna consciousness movement. And we have such a stress on celibacy and, and sexual restraint and sexual modesty. And yet when we're chanting the Gayatri, we're chanting the Kama Gayatri. We're chanting the Gayatri to accommodate. So this two opposite things. Like you see in Mahaprabhu, who was so strict in his dealings with material uh, sexuality and women, but he was absorbed in Krishna's conjugal rasa. So we're not interested in the shadow and the reflection, but we're very interested in reality. We're very interested in reality. In most religious systems simply just say, no, 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 there's nothing. It doesn't work. You can't, you can't repress the loving and even ultimately sexual parts of the jiva. In Bhagavatam, uh, Canto 5, Chapter 5, Text 5 or 25, someday I'll And then Prabhupada says that sexual feelings are part of the spiritual fa- body. That's also Madhulila, Text 138. So these original feelings are there in the soul. And actually, this fighting between Bhishma and Krishna, although it's in Dasiras, chivalrous, there's some elements here that can be compared to, erot- to genuine eroticism. That's how it's described, like a lover running to meet his lover and like fighting. So that's, that's there. That's our, uh, of course, we may think it's something material and feel a little embarrassed, but it's not material. There's a spiritual reality, and we are aiming for that spiritual reality. Also with this chivalry, this, in text 37, this idea of their promises, you know, these satyas are really into their promises. It's part of their identity. And I vow, you know, like Rukmi, if I can't defeat that Krishna and bring back my sister, I will never return to my kingdom of Kiskinda. I make this solemn vow. And then he never went back to his kingdom of Kishkindra because he didn't defeat Krishna. And not just the men who were like that. Amba was also like that. I'm going to kill Bhishma. She took three lives or something. No, and I'm not going to break my promise. Like Prabhupada said earlier, the Satyas are very stern people. This is my word, honor. They're really into this morals and ethics and So Krishna made this promise. I'm not going to take up weapons. And Bhishma was accused by Duryodhana that you're not fighting hard enough. So this he couldn't tolerate. Couldn't tolerate this insult to his fighting ability. You're being partial. You're not really being a good Satya. Said, all right, then. He said, tomorrow either I'll kill Arjuna or Krishna will break his promise to save him. So he prepared five arrows, one for each of the Pantavas, five mystic arrows. And Duryodhana said, ah, let me keep them for you. 
Duryodhana wanted to make sure nothing happened to them. But Duryodhana had long time before had told Arjuna, I don't know what the context was, but told Arjuna, anything you ask me for, I'll give you. So Krishna told Arjuna, well now you go and ask. So Krishna told Arjuna comes. And in the evening they were friends, and they were cousin brothers, Arjuna comes. And Duryodhana says, what do you want? He says, if you want me to give you the kingdom without fighting, I'll give it to you. And Arjuna says, no, you just give me those five arrows. <laughs> and then Bhishma could understand, this must be Krishna, because no one knew except Bhishma and Drana about these arrows. He said, all right, you know, Krishna, you want to play tricks with my promise, I'll play tricks with your promise. He says, today I'll fight so that you'll have to break your promise. So someone's promise had to be broken. Bhishma's promise had to be broken, or Krishna's promise had to be broken. So Krishna broke his own promise, taking out the chariot wheel. But this was their fun. This is again part of this chivalry. I'm taking a vow. Well, I'm going to make you break your vow. I'm going to make you break your vow. But I did this vow. You know, that was their, that was their enjoyment. And now Krishna becomes so absorbed that he forgets his cloth. He drops his cloth and he does, he's not aware. So this is yoga mind. How can Krishna not be aware of anything? Krishna knows everything, but he doesn't know that he dropped his cloth. I mean, it happens to me. I left my phone here the other day. I didn't know until I got back to my room. Oh, I forgot. So, but Krishna's not going to be like that. But Krishna is like that, in love. He sees Radharani and tries to milk a bull. And Radharani's churning an empty pot. Prabhupada wrote that letter. He said, don't think there's utopia in the spiritual world. He said, even there, the gopis, they're dressing themselves like they're young children. They don't know how to dress themselves. And Krishna's trying to milk a bull. So Krishna's forgetting his cloth. Out of love. He's so absorbed in love. Krishna wants to be absorbed in love. In 35, how Krishna's art, now this is not with Vishnu, with Arjuna, how Krishna's following the orders of Arjuna. Krishna doesn't have to follow anyone's orders. I think we might have already mentioned that these are eternal pastimes, that Bhishma wants to go to the planet where Krishna is engaged in these pastimes eternally. And it's also nice that Bhishma is talking about seeing Krishna's face, but Arjuna is just seeing him in the back. Okay, I want to take a 10-minute break to 11 o'clock.